From digital horsemanship, this is Finding the Field, bringing you stories and insights from today's most inspiring horsemen and women. Make the horse first. Make sure you're doing the right thing for your horse. I'm here with Tracer Gilson. If you're familiar with the reining industry, then you certainly know his name. Tracer has over 35 years of experience in reining. You will see him in the finals at all of the biggest shows out there, like the Fraternity and the Derbies. Not only that, but he's one of the best non-pro coaches out there. His non-pros are up there with the best, and I'm always watching them closely to see what you're telling them and what they're doing. Thanks for being here. No, you're welcome. It's something I grew up doing, and it's like a lot of kids played baseball or rode four-wheelers or whatever, and it's just what I, what I like to do. I've always just been a horse guy. You had some mentors at an early age, Mike yeah. Florida. Mike and... Florida, I rode with Mike when we were kids. He trained horses for us. How did working with Mike shape your training today? You know, he, he always told me that when we were getting ready to show that even though it might not feel exactly how you want it, the guys sitting in the chair probably don't know that. Present it how you would want it to be presented and make it look like it's your idea. That always stuck with me. Sometimes I don't execute it that good, but that, that was a good piece of advice when I was a little kid. Is there a time that later in life that, that came to you where maybe everything didn't feel perfect and so you went out with that strategy and it worked out for <laughs> yeah, you? Just about every time I worship. <laughs> no, I mean, they... I've been pretty lucky to, to be able to have some good horses to show, you know, and it seems like if I do my job at home, it, it'll work out as good as, it, good as it can. I want to switch gears a little bit, go back a little bit earlier into your career. I actually read that you started college. So my dad died when I was 19, and I told him that I would go to school. So... I did. Went to pre-med for three months, paid for it myself, and I absolutely hated it. Well, I shouldn't say I hated it. I hated Latin. I took that three times. I failed it three times. And I thought, one day I thought, you know, you're just, all you're really wanting to do is go ride horses anyway. So, well, you just go do that. And I, I mean, I like helping people and mm -hmm. coaching the non-pros is my way of doing that, I guess, uh, and take care of the horses. I guess that's the medical side of it, maybe. But yeah, sometimes at the end of the month, when you're looking at the numbers, you're like, eh, maybe I should have stayed in school. Don't do it for the money. <laughs> yeah, well, it ain't about the money a lot of times. That's for sure. Yeah. Is there a win early in your career that that really stands out to you? Yeah, probably when I won the NRBC and Lena Dunnett. I won the, it was called the Intermediate then, but uh, Dale Hendricks trained her as a three-year-old. They delivered her to us at the, at the Sun Circuit in January when I worked for Andy, and uh, he rode her around a little bit. He said, you know, I think you'll get along with this one better than I will. So I showed her at the Cactus Classic in March, uh, I won the open in the intermediate then, and then I won the intermediate at the NRBC owner. Why did he think you'd get along with her better? You know, she was a little bit hot, uh, a little bit, and uh, most of the time I kind of quiet them down a little bit. Um, sometimes I turn them the other way, but for the most part, I can kind of, I kind of chill them out a little bit. And her and I got along good. She was weird. She had a little bit like a little 
tick thing. And she just kind of had this little thing with her head. And if you loped her till that was gone, I was a, always a 21 or better. And I tried it one time without loping her till that was gone, and I marked a 214. So. Oh, so interesting. Do you see like things like that with other horses where they have like a telltale? Uh, yeah, I mean, to a point, but not, I mean, hers was obvious, you know, that was, she had just loped around and it was like somebody flicked her in the end of the nose and once that went away, you're good to go. But honestly, all the really good horses, they get a little bit of a quirk to them. You just got to figure out how to, what they are and how to deal with them. Was there something special about that day when you won that, that class? I had no idea, no expectations. That was honestly, I think that might even have been the first time I showed at that event. I was just pretty naive at that point, I think, about what what it actually took and how much work. And I mean, I just craved doing it all the time, you know, and pretty lucky to do so. And figuring her out was, was a big accomplishment for me. Just what to expect from her and what not to expect from her. What about Chuck's master? Chuck's master. What was he like? I, I loved him. I watched Franco show him when he was three and he won Tulsa. Franco did a good job on him, great job on him. When Joe told me to go find a derby horse for myself, I, I mean, I knew right away which one I wanted. That horse has been really good to me. He made the, made the finals everywhere. He made the finals at the Paterdy and uh, NRBC on him, and then every place I showed him, he made the finals. And, and we've got some of his babies on the ground now, and they look good. They were born this year. What's Chex Master's personality like? He's really quiet. He's very business-like. He's very sweet as a, as a stud. You know, I take him and get him collected, and then I bring him home and lend him for a few minutes, and then my little daughter might get on him. He's just got a really, really good brain. He's uh, trustworthy, be a good way to put it. That sounds abnormal for a stud. Mm, yeah, he's... You know, and that, that's why that's why we've bred some of our good mares to him this year is just, uh, I mean, if he throws his brain on them, they'll, they'll be good horses. The last year I showed him in the derbies and stuff, we'd you know, I'd swing a rope on him and just go track cattle or do a bunch of other different stuff with him. He was broke as I could ask him to be. And, we just kept him in shape and liking his job. And Doing other things with him, does that help him like his job more? Or? I think him, it surely did. To the other ones, you might need to keep him a little more focused, but he's really the kind where if you were, if you showed up 10 minutes late to the horse show because you had a flat tire or whatever, you could saddle him up, go jogging around for 10 minutes, and he'd go, he could go mark him four pretty easy. It might be one of the horses you already named, but has there been a horse that's changed your life or your career? Uh, I think Chuck's master for sure. Uh, Lena Dunnett was another one. Another mare named Tari's Modern Design. So all these experiences at this point in your career, what would you say your specialty is? I, I think as far as the non-pros go, kind of matching the horses with the people. You know, I, I have a great group of non-pros. We're kind of like a big family almost, you know, and I, I kind of have an idea of what kind of horse they need as far as what 
can fit their ability and their riding style. Mm -hmm. I think I'm pretty good at that, I guess. I think I learned a lot of that. I worked for a guy named Ed Fear in Chicago for about three and a half years before I worked for Randy. And he had a ton of them. I think we had like 50 non-pro horses or something, something crazy like that. And he was very good at matching horses to people. And the other... The other guy that I've watched quite a bit as far as the non-pro stuff is Charlie Smith. He He's probably had more non-pro world champions than anybody. Is there some kind of key to knowing if a horse and a person matches? Knowing your customers and, and honestly, probably 50% of knowing that is buying ones that don't work. I mean, it'd be a fairy tale if every horse we ever bought or raised worked at that's not reality. And all the other non-pro trainers that I that I see and and associate with and in our industry and stuff, everybody seems like they try and do the right thing for the most part. I mean, there's always a few that are going to be a bad egg or whatever, but I, I think for the most part, we all have a general responsibility, I guess is a way to say it, to keep our industry growing and and keep our industry honest and straightforward as, as we can, you know? And I think the ones that don't do that, end up, they weed themselves out anyways. What about somebody looking to get into the industry, somebody looking to transition to competing and rating? What would be your advice? Find a trainer. How do you pick a trainer? One, you need to figure out what your goals should be then it would be the trainer's job to tell you whether they're realistic or not. I've had people show up that, you know, maybe they've ridden horses their whole life and they think that they can go make the Derby Finals or the Futuri Finals, and it's not easy. I mean, if this sport was easy, everybody would be doing it because it's very addicting. And I think if you come in with realistic goals and your trainer is honest and realistic, with you about it, but you have to be willing to accept that too. If he tells you or she tells you, you know, you're not quite ready for that yet, he's probably not lying to you. But if you want to get into it, it's a blast. It's funny. I mean, you could not, you can go to the ranch with Turdy and that might be the only time you get to see certain people, but it's like you just talked to them like three days ago and you haven't talked to them in a year. It's, it's pretty cool that way, and you know, there's obviously rivalry, but I think it's friendly rivalry for the most part. What about the newcomers, the, the young up-and-coming trainers? Is it is it hard for them in that uh, sense? Not as much as it used to be. They got it pretty good now. I think a lot of us did it because it's something that we love to do, mm-hmm. you know, and we have the, just that fire in your stomach every, every morning when you wake up, you know what? It's a lifestyle. I mean, this is this is our life, whether it's me or my wife or it's seven days a week. And and I think they see. I mean, you can make a you can make a a good living and a good life if you do things right and honest uh, in in training horses. But they see us driving a new truck or having a new horse trailer and all that stuff. Well, they got no idea what it took to get there. Things are changing too, you know. We we have this conversation a lot, me and the other trainers, about about the help situation, and, and it's 
it's surely not for everybody. It, it really isn't because it's a lot of work and it's it's a lot of dedication and it's maybe not going out on the birthday dinner on your 21st birthday because mm-hmm. we got a horse that's sick. You have to sacrifice a lot for this business to be successful. Running a successful business, training them is probably 60% of it. Mm-hmm. And then there's 40% of a lot of the stuff that they don't see. And having good help is, for a trainer, is very important. Uh, I guess a good way to say it is the assistants are there to make the trainer's life easier. They're not there for the trainer to make the assistant's life easier. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of kids come in with that, that uh, you know, mental approach a little bit like, oh, this is, this is what I want to do. I just want to, I just want to ride horses and go home. Well, it don't work that way. There's way more to it than, than what I think what they realize. What's your favorite part? I like coming to the barn every day and seeing the horses and, and the people. I like going to the horse shows and, and seeing the people and, and, and training them. It's, you know, it's what I enjoy to do. Um, even on Sundays, I wake up and like go get, go get my wife some coffee or something, but then I'll come and just hang out in the barn for a few hours and just kind of get my fix, if you want to call it that. And it's, like I said, it's a, it's a lot of sacrifice. It's a lot of sacrifice financially. It's a lot of sacrifice with your family. You're going a lot more showing. Um, and, and I'm fortunate enough to have a, a pretty good support group behind me. Anything you do with your horses consistently, certain habits you try to instill? Confidence in them. I deal with a lot of non-pros, mm-hmm. so I try to make the horses as confident and as broke as possible and as simple as possible to where anybody can get on and just go ride them around and do a pattern. They might not, you know, go mark a 76 or something, but most of the time somebody can get here and get on one of mine, even if they've never ridden a horse before and, and go do the maneuvers at least. So I want to hit on that confidence point because I think that's a really tough thing. How do you instill confidence in a horse? Well, in the horses, it's just our program. I mean, we, we ride six days a week. Um, they get Sunday off. The older ones, once they're broke, we just keep them in shape and then touch on the maneuvers, you know, maybe a week before the horse show or something. But for the older non-pro horses, I think that just the fact that they're not getting the daily grind of maneuvers over and over and over again. One, it keeps them happy, keeps them fresh, and keeps them sound and keeps their brains good. Just, just knowing the horses and knowing what their job's going to be is, is whether it's a rookie horse or an all-pro derby horse or fraternity horse, and, and knowing their, you got to find their limits and uh, the rider's limits too and try and match that up. So in the younger ones, because I imagine that'd be much harder because you're training all all the time. You're trying to get them ready for the fraternity. How do you know how much to push your young horses? Well, I think, again, I think that's something you find out at home. You know, some of them, some of them thrive on the pressure. Some of them get better and they, they love it. And the other ones, 
might be able to mark as much, but you just got to kind of go about it a different way. Call them fragile-minded ones. They might be the most talented one you have, but might have to just train them a little bit different each day. Where the some of the quieter studs, they seem to thrive on that. Like the more you ask of them, the better the better they get, and they they actually enjoy it. They don't they don't like just coming out and loafing around, and they like going to work, and that's what we breed them to do. We've bred the mental ability and the desire to want to be a performance horse you know not all of them make it and, and i mm -hmm. think now as a whole our industry I, I think we're a lot more aware of that you know no nobody tries to make something out of something that doesn't really want to do it because there's lots of other avenues to send those horses to where they're mm -hmm. going to be happier they got to have the mental ability to do it what are the ones that don't make it? What are they like mentally in your experience? There's there's several different kinds, you know, but some of them, they just don't have enough try mm -hmm. to want to do this, but they might end up being a good horse for a kid to go ride around on the ranch or do the ranch riding or, or stuff like that. Or the ones that have a really good mind, but maybe just not as enough talent. Those usually end up being good youth kid horses later on in life and have you ever had one that was like bred so well, had all the talent in the world, super athletic, but then tough-minded? Oh yeah, yeah, I'm sure we all have. I mean, we, we raise probably 20 yearlings a year here and out of really, really good broodmares and, and I've had Clove Brother to horses that won almost a half million dollars and he had all the talent in the world, but he had no desire to want to be a reigning horse at all. How'd you know that? What did he do? Well, he would he could do all the stuff and then when I went and and horse showed him and took him to the big stage, he did not play at all. So we ended up uh, uh he ended up being a actually a pretty good rope horse. He ended up being pretty good there, but he surely did not want to be a reigning horse. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell us about a time where where maybe you felt like you failed, either failed the horse or you didn't set up the show situation right, something that, that stands out? Honestly, I think as, as a horseman, I think we fail every day because um, I think you make a mistake all the time. I mean, it might not be a big one, but I, I think, or at least myself anyways, I, I look at it at the end of the day like, all right, what could I have done a little bit better? And I don't know that maybe fail is the right word. I, I sure look on ways that I could improve what I did the day before. Each horse is an individual, so what works for this one might not work for that one. And, and I think that's just part of becoming a better horseman is at the end of the day, just sit down for five minutes and think about what's happening and how your horses are riding or what they're doing or not doing and what you need them to do better or maybe they can't do it any better. Like I said, I don't know that fail is the right word, but every day I try to improve a little bit, some aspect or another, whether it's the training part of it or the feeding or the just the general overall well-being of them, you know, the, it's a big part of it. It's not just the training part of it. Any particular horses that were challenging? I think they're all challenging in their own way. Um, there was one, I bought him for a lady named Vicky and we paid quite a bit of money for him. He never really stopped till like two days before I left for the reigning fraternity. 
mini stop, but he always felt like he had it in there and he just could do it a lot better. I'd take him to the ramp at 30 and I missed the open funnels by half a point. I was just starting out on my own. That was probably 2000, 2006 or seven. We just kept plugging away at it. I, I made the Derby finals on him and she she made the NRBC finals on him once or twice. And he's in Florida and there's a little girl showing him. And, but that one was definitely challenging from April of his three-year-old year till right about Thanksgiving day. Was it just like one day he came out and started stopping? What yeah, what changed? Like, I don't know what changed because I, you know, there's days where he'd just have like moments of brilliance and then four out of the six days we rode, he would just, just not get it. But he always kind of gave you that little glimmer of hope, you know, that one day he'd come out and he'd actually stop good and the next day he'd act like you forgot everything. And then literally like two days before the ran fraternity, he just came out two days in a row and started stopping. And after that, he never missed a stop that, that day. So were you nervous walking into the, the prelims yeah, no thinking idea. he's not going to stop? <laughs> you got no idea. Yeah, he and he was good, you know. And, and I think, like I said, I think I missed the final by half a point. And uh, I'm pretty sure that that half a point was probably me being just a little bit reluctant about trusting him to stop. I think that horse taught me a little bit of patience about them too. Sometimes they just take a little while. So the ones that take a little longer, what's your approach with that? Uh, a monotonous routine every day. Just keep showing them. Just keep showing them. And sometimes you're like, oh my God, I'd rather just slam my finger in the door or something. <laughs> but you just got you. If you feel like it's in there and you and you and you think it's in there and you're not wasting your time or your customer's money about going forward with it, usually in the end it'll work out. Another good example is uh, I, I didn't train this one, but I watched Randy train Tari's designer jeans. She never really stopped very much until the fraternity either, and uh, and she won. I don't know, 300 or some thousand, one of attorney and it's produced good now too, but that's another one where just patience paid off. But uh, she's on a Tarzel Vintage. I have a three-year-old out of her this year and, and she's that way. She can turn and circle like crazy and, and she has she has a lot of stop. She just needs to kind of figure out her own style about it a little bit. She has a lot of try to figure out how to stop, which makes me want to keep going with her. If I hadn't gotten a ride, some of the other Tari babies, I, I think I'd maybe be in a little bit more of a panic situation right now, maybe. But after watching Randy train that filly, and uh, I've just been taking the same approach with her, and, and I can feel it week by week. She just gains just a little bit. What about getting out in that show pen? Do you, do you get nervous anymore? Oh, yeah. Every time. I think if you don't get nervous, you don't crave it. For me, anyways, I think the day I don't get nervous and excited about going to a major event, I probably shouldn't be going. How do you deal with those nerves? You know, I kind of, and I think everybody does, but I kind of went through a funk for a couple of years, you know, between moving and getting everything all set up here at the ranch and it's been great, but I think I had, you know, maybe my thoughts in a different spot there for a while about 
everything else going on. We got it all set up to where I don't have to worry about all that stuff as much. But as far as my mental preparation, I, like I said, I do try and do a lot of homework. And I, I know my horses by the time I get to the show. You know, and I might tweak a thing or two a little bit, but I try not to change very much. And then when I go on the show, I just try and show what I've trained and any breathing exercises? Nah. Do you sit sit with your pattern? Do you go over it in your head a bunch of times? I do it. I do it just once right before I go in. You know, I just I just kind of draw it on my leg once and make sure I know all the stuff and go in. I think for us, a lot of the non pros, we we go in. We feel like there's so much to remember. There's the pattern, and maybe my horse struggles you know, changing leads, maybe they take off in the rundowns. And what do you tell your non-pros? So most of the time, I just have them do it maneuver by maneuver. One thing at a time, if you're doing your right circles, just worry about doing your right circle. Worry about that. I, I try not to have them go to the horse show with a problem, but sometimes that doesn't always work, you know. Right. Um, that's the hardest part for me is not being able to be out there and help them. I do the best job that I can getting their horses ready to show and give them all the pep talk I can, but when they're in there, it's up to them. That's part of horse showing too, ups and downs. and It's an awesome sport, but it's a humbling sport at the same time. Sometimes you're the windshield and sometimes you're the bug. Is that how that goes? Something like that. Any personal habits that you think make you more successful, things you do for yourself? I work too damn much. (laughs) <laughs> you know what even sometimes a crew will leave at six or seven at night or whatever it is and i might go to the house eat some supper and then there's times i'll come back out 11 30 12 at night and just be thinking about one and go ride it or you know probably more closer to the fraternity time when the stress really rolls around you know but uh, we do we do take a little family vacation in August every year, and that's pretty darn nice. But uh, about the fifth or sixth day, I'm like, let's try to go back and ride something. So, Still pretty passionate after yeah, all this time. Yeah, I don't maybe ride as many as I used to every day, but I still try to ride ten or twelve. And... What about advice? What's the best advice that somebody's ever given you about being a horseman? God gave you two ears and one mouth. So how does that directly apply? I think you can learn something from anybody. Listen more, talk less. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Any general guidance for anybody who wants to be a better horse person? Yeah, make the horse first. Make sure you're doing the right thing for your horse. If there's something going on in the barn where I got one sick or one hurt or mm-hmm. something like that, it's... Uh, um, 99% of the time it's me out here. I just whether I have an assistant out here also or not, I don't know, but most of the time it's me out here making sure that they're that they're taken care of. But I think that's just me. I don't know. Anything else you'd like to say about your business or any other advice you have? I mean if you want to get into it it's it's surely a a fun, fun avenue to come down, and, and uh, like I said, the the horses are great, and the the people are 
people are wonderful in the industry, most of them anyway, so it's good, it's been good good to me so far. I ain't planning on leaving yet. But Hope not. No, I haven't won a fraternity yet. But oh, that's right. Yeah. You have one this year you think is potential? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. Got some time. Got some time. I'm sure I'll screw it up between now and then. You never know. <laughs> do you look? What do you look for in a great fraternity horse? They gotta have the mental ability first, I guess, and then the, the physical ability. And I get that. I get that question a lot, and I guess as soon as I win the fraternity, I'll be able to answer that a little bit better. When you win the fraternity, we'll have to bring you back, and yeah. you, you can tell us. Yeah. Well, we'll see you next at NRBC. And the Derby, I'm sure. And then many after that, and finally the fraternity at the end of the year. If you want to learn more about Tracer, you can go on his website. It's gilsonperformancehorses.com, or you can look him up on Facebook, Gilson Performance Horses. Any other place that people can find you? I'm here at the ranch riding. If you want to come out, just come on. We'll be here. You might have people that take you up on that offer. That's all right. (laughs) Cool. Well, thanks so much. You bet.